Clay, this is yet another episode of Voyager that I feel a personal connection with because when uh, the -hmm. poor man's Vincent Cassell starts talking to Janeway about buying some spider silk dresses or whatever it is, he tells her, (laughs) this will be more pleasurable for you, for, for me, than it will be for you, which is something I say to Amy every week and a half. And I feel that it's it's a connection <laughs> with this Star Trek world that I thought was very realistic in a way that you know Picard coming. You're to- referencing you're referencing the evenings that you leave the kids with her and go somewhere else by yourself, right? <laughs> when she gets to talk to somebody else besides me for a little bit of time, it's very pleasurable <laughs> for her. She doesn't wear spider silk though, unfortunately. Yeah, we're here to talk about the pleasure planet. Gene Roddenberry coming back strong with a hedonistic wild man, <laughs> wild man adventure with prime factors. Trust me, Michael. 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 Rick Berman, co-creator of the show. <laughs> Trust me, this is what Gene would have wanted. We talked about this all the time. We'd get together late at night with a, with a couple <laughs> snifters of brandy and just talk about, talk about Captain Leisure Suit Larry. And his ship, the galaxy-class starship, the Spanish fly. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't afford Vincent Cassell, so we're going to go with this guy, who I, I guess uh, Kyle, this might not ring anything, but one of, I think Kyle's patron comments is, this is the uh, Megan's father from Mad Men, which is surprising, I think. I, I didn't make that connection, but I guess that that, that does work uh, for this. So if people are big fans of Mad Men's later mm. seasons... This is that guy, <laughs> and he's here in this episode of Star Trek. Is I'm not familiar with Mad Men, but I do. Is, is Megan the the one who like the the French girlfriend who sings the song? Yes, yeah, his second wife. Yeah, Draper's ah, second gotcha. wife. Yeah, his much gotcha. younger French French Canadian, I think, uh, or maybe just French, but certainly speaks French and sings Zuzu Zaza, whatever that song is. Um, all right, this is it. Prime factors. So let's get into it. I can close this tab and go to Prime Factors. It's the 10th episode of Voyager's first season. Came out on the March 20th, 1995. Teleplay goes to Michael Paracone and Greg Elliott. Story credit goes to David R. George III and Eric A. Stilwell. Directed by Les Landau in Universe Date 48642.52371. In this one, called Prime Factors, the crew of Voyager discovers a planet that has technology to send them more than halfway along their journey home. However, the planet's inhabitants are more than reluctant to share this technology with Voyager's crew, as doing so would violate one of their society's own <clears throat> prime directives. Um, where to start with this one? I loved this episode. I'm going to need you to convince me to not give this a five. I'm going to say that right off the start. From this. Ooh. So maybe there's a little competitiveness Ooh, here. Well, I, I feel I feel gun shy about giving. I don't know if Enterprise scared me, and I'm like I can't give fives to anything anymore. I don't know if I'll ever feel mm-hmm. feel pleasure again. Mm-hmm. Much like Amy doesn't feel pleasure. But if if we if, <laughs> can we can we back up here a second? <laughs> Is there something going on that, that you need to talk about? Because that's like very close together. Two references uh, to uh, allusions to <clears throat> marital strife. Beyond, In some sense. Beyond the tiredness of the marital strife joke, I just feel that this guy inspired me in some way. That is, I 
the one of the reasons I want to give this a five is that I find this planet to be really, um, like really provocative. I think I think there's so many entirely. I, <laughs> I find their oh, weather sorry. forecasting system. You, <laughs> you find their planet to be furnished entirely with couch upholstery from 1986. Basically, well spaced out too. A very minimalist setup where you only have yeah. a little bit. Yes. Of, you have some yeah. scarfs over here. You got a weather thing over here, and you've got a like a chicken over there. You've got some fried eggs or whatever they're eating. I um the reason I like this one, and the reason I think that the pleasure thing is funny, is because. Um, this, this species, it's like, it's makeup isn't even really all that important to the story. Like what this alien world is like is not really super important to anything. Yeah. But I think that this script and this episode is so strong. Even they are fascinating in some weird way about like, they're this pleasure driven society that like is into like masturbatory hedonism where they're just like, yeah, making you feel good, makes me feel good. But they get they get angry about it, which is interesting. Like they're hostile in trying to give you pleasure in a, in a strange way. It's like, I just thought, I thought everything about this one was really interesting. Down to the fact that the, these aliens, which in judging by what the rest of the episode could have been about, they could have just been the most bland Star Trek alien of the week. That's just like, yeah, why don't you guys hang out with us? This is kind of cool because the whole thing is around their technology that they have. But they made them interesting. And yeah. I think that this script is interesting in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk you off of uh, getting a making this a five because I also really like this one. Um, do would I? I don't know if I would go five. I think I would go four, definitely. Five, I'm not sure. <clears throat> However, I think I was kind of in my head underrating it as I watched it because I had a feeling I was going to come in hot on this one, <laughs> and then you were going to be the one to be like, "Well, <laughs> it has some canon violations." Maybe, in maybe, it. maybe you're going overboard. Yeah, <clears throat> but no, I, I, I really liked it. I, I think the the inversion of the prime directive is really fascinating. It's not something that they like lean into too hard, but that one scene where she's explaining, which she's like, you know. We never thought about how the prime directive affects the people we apply it to. This kind of sucks. Like that was they've never done that before. Yeah. I find that interesting. Um it's the first episode since essentially the pilot where the maquis element comes into play and there's uh, uh division among the crew. Yep. Um in a big way. I think they've they've done it the they've last sprinkled scene, it in a little yeah. bit maybe. Yeah, yeah, it it, it, it kind of comes up in passing, yeah. but this is the first time it's like they've had to make decisions and it's yeah. come up. Um, that last scene with Tuvok I thought was great, uh, where he says, "My logic was not an error. My logic was not an error, but I was." That mm-hmm. was really good. Um, Janeway's uh, moral and ethical struggle between holding up the um, beliefs and tenets of Starfleet versus taking the easy way to get home. It's really interesting, um, and yeah, th- th- I think I think it goes a long way to show you how when you have the right. There's a lot of techno babble in this. To be fair, <clears throat> like th- they do the thing that they do when they don't have money to sh- do special effects, where they just talk about something that's happening off screen while we watch a computer graphic yeah. at the end. Um, 
Or you you watch but three people aside, looking at a computer graphic. You know, you're, you're watching yes, people reacting yes. to the screen. TNG did that a lot too. Yes, but that aside, like it kind of goes to show you how how much you can do with so little. And that's not to say that the species was under conceptualized or there wasn't a, enough there. But I think there was pl- enough there to tell the story that they were telling and made them an interesting species where they have a certain um, thing that they're about. And they also have a certain piece of technology that Voyager needs. And those two things come in uh, conflict with each other. And it, it makes an interesting ethical and moral question story. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I think you can, um, I think for this discussion, we can kind of break it up into chunks. I think that like the first chunk is, the prime directive from, I think they call it the other side of the fence in this one, as you're saying, is Janeway recognizing like, well, this kind of sucks to not be given the thing that would help you <laughs> in the long run. And that's unfortunate. Uh, I even like that scene because it's like compared to what we're watching now with Picard and the modern shows and stuff like that. And even Enterprise didn't do that. That was a scene where it's a conference room scene where every, all the characters have a different point of view about something and the dialogue is like ping-ponging yep. back and forth mm-hmm. between the different, you know, like, oh, there's actually like a, a cast of characters here who all have different perspectives on it. And yeah, I, I'm, they have perspectives and their dialogue is not just them being shitty to each other, right, which yes. is what these shows turn into now. It's just every time it's a bunch of people around a table, it turns into we have to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's what you would think to do. Oh, shut up. You you know, it's it turns into just like a shitty you quip drunk. every time they have these. You scenes. alcoholic. How dare you tell me that this is what we have to do? Yeah, it's the it's the second worst thing that uh, Joss Whedon brought to the television culture. <laughs> <laughs> what's the first for those listening oh you can do a google search and figure that one out if you want oh that that's that's true i haven't been on twitter long enough to not be to not be reminded about that would follow my hashtag <laughs> my joss whedon hashtag that i used to have um i think yeah you really uh you really very abruptly stopped that hashtag. I don't I really know. know what happened. When I disappeared, it just it just dropped, just dropped off the face of the, uh, the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm generally a sucker for poking fun of the Prime Directive. Like I really like the Enterprise Observer Effect episode. I think it's the best Enterprise episode where they do that. They take the Prime mm-hmm. Directive, at least in how TNG presented it, and say, this is kind of a stupid idea. Um, Voyager does something interesting where... I, I kind of appreciate the fact that they they aren't dismissive of the Prime Directive. They still kind of embrace it, but there's mm. a question about when should you break this thing? Like, what is the downside here, really? And I would argue that other Star Trek episodes right. have been actually more immoral with its breaking of the Prime Directive. And I like that. I like how Janeway, and I, I, I think this is Janeway's best episode by far. Um, I, I like yeah. the fact that Janeway yes. has this sort of like she has to straddle this line where she's like, well, we'll try to sell them this stuff, but no one, like she won't let them scan the technology. You know, she won't let them go down with a tricorder to be like, how the hell do you make this thing mm-hmm. so that we can try to make it back up here? So there's this, there's this fine line she's trying to walk as she navigates this dilemma. And I don't know. I think it's a, I, I don't think I ever run into anyone who's like vehemently, um, 
as much as you can be based on a Star Trek show, like vehemently in favor of the Prime Directive. I argue it's probably a worse rule than a good rule in the long run, mostly because of how badly it seems to be written. Mm -hmm. It's way too vague. It's like a bad Supreme Court law or something like that. It's like, oh, how far can this go? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I just liked that. You know, it's kind of been something we've been talking about since the start, since that, like, how, like, Voyager's in a weird place. What will Voyager do to actually, how far will Voyager compromise itself if it has to, to be able to get somewhere? And I thought that even more so than something like Eye of the Needle, I thought this episode encompassed the difficulties of what Voyager is more than Eye of the Needle. Like, I really like Eye of the Mm -hmm. Needle, and I like the fact that Mm -hmm. we're trying to get home is the main struggle. But I think that Prime Factors actually gets into the desperation of getting home and like, will you break a central tenant if you need to do that? And how far are you willing to go? I don't know. I just, I thought that they played the prime directive stuff really well. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting though. Cause you get, when you get down to what the, what the problem is, um, when it was, when it was a question of Janeway, being willing to because there's kind of two elements to the problem right there's the first element where it's oh they have this thing but Janeway is hesitant about taking it at all uh because of these inverse prime direct because that would break their prime directive thing um and then there's the second half of it where she decides all right let's at least try and barter for this thing and see if we can't convince them but she's still not going to take it. She's not going to take it. Uh, uh, she's not going to steal it. Um, the first half is interesting because her point of view and her um, ethics that she's hanging on to seem kind of flimsy. They seem very flimsy from the standpoint of, of, of Voyager, where it's like, what do you think you are breaking by asking to take this technology it's not like we are you know pre pre pre-industrialized people who have never seen a starship before which is what the um prime directive is usually based around this is kind of like uh they're more peers than they are not peers in this situation yeah and so it is interesting that she goes so far or is so adamant about standing up for this other group's thing because that is a reflection of her own morals and ideals where it's like, well, she's not going to push this guy to break this rule because she wouldn't break this rule if it was her. And it makes the problem, you're kind of sitting there going like, Janeway, what the hell are you doing? You've got this thing. It could get you home. Why aren't you doing it? And it's not about that part of it. It's actually about her entire approach to everything where you know she is on she's on equal footing with this alien guy and to have him break his rule would be as devastating because that means you know she Cuts she her. puts herself yeah. in his position blah blah blah, blah. Yep. yeah uh and i thought that was really really fascinating and she also the second half of the problem when it's down to okay well i'll ask him but i'm not going to i don't want to steal it she does she, it's not that she ha, she uh wavers at all but she does recognize how important this thing is and does what she can within the parameters she's comfortable to do it in um and all of that stuff plays so well 
into that final sequence when uh, Torres and Tuvok tell her what they've done because <clears throat> it's not like she doesn't know how important this is, but what is important to her is maintaining this level of ethics and this having some sort of bedrock to cling to and to be completely undercut by the people on her staff or yep. people uh, on her sh- on her ship is just like there's not a worse thing they could have done. Um, and I, I that's why I really liked Tuvok's explanation where he says, you have you told me the most important thing here is getting us home. But you also I also know that you won't compromise your morals. So I did it for you. And she's like. Essentially, like you completely missed the point of everything that I told you, <laughs> and it's just it's it's a really interesting ethical, um, and personal predicament to put her and everybody else in. Yeah, I, I think that the um, I think there's a lot actually going on in the script in terms of how like in terms of how the plots layer onto each other and how the different uh, narratives are building and yet how they all dovetail together in a really nice way. Like, you know, again, compared to what we've been watching in Star Trek Picard, when Tuvok at the Mm -hmm. very end in the final scene says, when she's like, why the hell did you do this? And he says, I did it for you. It's, I I damn near stood up and applauded because of how it ties into what the villain of the or the antagonist (laughs) of this episode is doing things for himself. He's trying to be nice for himself. That's like why Janeway's so offended by that species Mm -hmm. at the end. And so it's why it's why Janeway nearly breaks it down into tears when Tuvok's like, "Well, I did this for you." It's it's just the inversion of that. Like they're 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 showing you the two different sides of how this is being an interaction that the crew is having, and it's just it's nicely built in a way that the episode, you don't even see those constructions happening as it's happening until Tuvok brings it up at the end and you're like, oh, of course. Like, this is what the, this is what the mirroring is supposed to represent. I, th- I think that it's really mm-hmm. clever in the way that, like, Janeway... I see Janeway's characterization here as pretty fascinating in a way that's not overtly stated, which is that her anger about this as things move on and her like, let's just get the hell out of here. She can't leave that planet fast enough because she's so disgusted about what's going on. I see it as a deep resentment in herself and that she's not willing to do the thing that would get these people home. So there's going to be, there's like a kind of like self disgust Mm -hmm. and self hatred about what she should do, but she cannot do in her position. And when it comes down to the crew betraying her, it's, it's, it is the fact that they went around her wishes, but there's also this more like, to me, it seems there's this deeper aspect of it, which is that she sees how much getting home would have meant to people at that point. And she's kind of upset Mm -hmm. with herself that Mm -hmm. she was not able to pull that trigger. And so it's not just an anger at like the crew for undermining her and Tuvok undermining her and betraying her and things like that. It's her own inability to actually do what the crew wants to do, which I thought was really effective because mm-hmm. I thought in the f- very few lines of like throwaway dialogue, this episode had some really great sequences where they actually, in a way that none of the prior episodes had done, made me feel like these people actually do want to get home. Like there's the Seska has that line about mm. I'm missing my brother's birthday. There's the other the other 
mm-hmm. the sort of poor man's version of Chief O'Brien, <laughs> who's the other engineer guy, who um, yes. he yeah, says that was definitely <laughs> that was definitely a Miles O'Brien stand-in. He's got two kids and a wife, and he just brings them up, and you're like, oh, there's actually mm-hmm. like there are reasons that these people want to get home. I thought that more than any other episode in the season so far, this was the most effective at selling why people want to get home and like what they're actually missing out on. But, and I think it's just the reason Janeway is so upset besides the obvious stuff at the end is that she realizes that she kind of, she kind of fucked up in a way like the, the, she upheld her job, Mm -hmm. but doing her job would cause people pain. Even if, if this thing had worked, people would have been very upset with her for making the decision that she made. If it had, people if would have been. Dis- if she decided if- not to take the technology, right, and Tuvok and them mm-hmm. had not stolen it, oh sure, sure, yes, the crew would yes. have been pissed at her yeah. that she has expent. They're not going to be alive when they get home because of the decision that she made. You know. Yeah, 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 and I I think one of the other nice things that they do in this too is the the subtle through line of Tuvok is is really nice because the, the episode opens with uh the idea that tuvok sees friendship as a way to maximize efficiency Mm -hmm. and then by the end of the episode he's kind of putting that into effect and realizes why that's not something that is true yeah and why you can't look at something like a uh a relationship in such black and white logistical terms that he's as he does yeah yeah, it's, a good it's just point. really well done. Like it's, it, it's, it's. I don't want to just jump completely into just comparing this to to uh, Picard and stuff, but it's like, it's it's so simply laid out, but there's so much stuff going on, and it's all in service of a theme. Whereas on Picard. I've got no fucking clue what that show is about. Episode yeah. to episode. No idea. I don't know like what there's there's no subtlety to it. There's not any larger point or idea or question they're asking uh 5 episodes into that show. No, no it's building. very frustrating. And I yeah, think no. yeah. And I think honestly that's the most frustrating thing about that show. Um because you look at an episode like this, and I think this is a similar. Uh, this is also why I was I was hesitant to go all in on this was because it reminded me um, a lot of the last one, which I really liked. In that, the actual problem is not particularly sexy. Yeah. Well, I mean, some aspects of it are sexy when they're down there <laughs> and just like touching each other and stuff. But you're talking about emanations like, too, right? The 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 afterlife yes. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here, and it's another one, it's another one too. It's interesting. These two back to back actually, cause they have a lot of similarities, um, on top of the, uh, any sort of thematic stuff they're dealing with. Both of them have alien species that you do not really get much info about except for the specific info you need for the story they're telling. And both of these, uh, alien races seem to have highly advanced transporting systems that can send yeah. you who the fuck knows where. That's true. Yep. So, I mean, I, I wish Chakotay or something had be like, guys, this is actually the second group like this we've seen in as many weeks. Maybe this technology isn't as far-fetched as we think it is. Maybe we go to a couple more planets, we find someone that gives us one that works. But 
it's kind of similar in that the problem they're presenting you with is not a, you know, an exciting, visually exciting kind of problem. Uh, even and similar to emanations, these antagonists, quote unquote, aren't really that bad. Yeah, they're I not. Mean, the they're main not guy, bad. he's not like. Yeah, it was another one where I kept waiting for like the other shoe to drop and there to be some sort of like malevolent bad. Anytime, anytime a guy like that shows up and is like, "Come down to the planet," you guys look like you need a rest. <laughs> it's always a cover for something, but it wasn't. Please, was just Kim. Fuck my daughter. A, Take it. Just head off. Yes. Head off. <laughs> I've been. We've been hearing so much about experiencing this thing you called the Harry Kim. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but like, it's, you know, he's not malevolent or malicious outside of the fact that he's just, even, even that character is fascinating because he is someone who lives on like a, a pleasure planet and he is kind of tired of it, but they don't really get into it that much, but that's his, that's his antagonistic element where he's like, he's really into new shit, but he gets over it. Yeah, but he gets over it very quickly, and he's just he's like a trophy hunter, basically, which is why Janeway goes into the uh, spoken interlude from I would do anything for love, but I won't do that towards the end of the episode, which is fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's not a sexy, explosion-heavy or action-heavy problem, but it's a very satisfying science fiction problem presented in uh, narrow terms, and, and you have a narrow narrative cone of vision here about what the story's about and i think they they do a really nice job of wringing a lot out of it and keeping tom paris and neelix towards the back (laughs) yeah because one of the i know we made fun of it at the start uh by having the ending be a lot of techno babble and it's people staring at a screen but i thought this was like the best version of that that I've ever, probably ever seen in Star Trek. Like I, I was actually like, wow, yeah. this, is, this is fairly effective for what they're doing. I think because they sold the we're not getting home thing well enough and they had to do that in this episode. And so when they're mm-hmm. disappointed by it and it doesn't, it doesn't work out for them, I feel that it's all well-deserved and it's not just watching a countdown on a screen and then going like, oh, damn it, it didn't, it didn't work. It didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. The, the only... Like... The the only, and this is a very mild thing, but I, I wonder about the, they they kind of cover their tracks a little bit at the end in order to not make you feel super bad. They say that because of the way this planet is constructed with like its crystal core, this technology only works here. You, can, you can't do this anywhere else. You mm-hmm. can't build this mm-hmm. and you can't go anywhere else. So that gets the episode out of this like, oh, damn, they really missed it to to more of a, well, that's too bad. It wouldn't have worked out anyway, so don't feel too bad. The problem with that, though, is it kind of undoes, I'm assuming the Sicarians know how their technology works, it kind of undoes this guy's argument that, well, we don't want people this to get into the wrong hands because we just don't know what that's going to mm-hmm. mean, you know, because they must know that you can only do this here on this planet. So, you know, I, or th- I don't do know. they not know I that? I mean, maybe hmm. it's possible they don't. I mean, the the last, the emanations people didn't know how the fuck that shit worked. That's true. They've been doing that for like 200 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's possible that they, they have no idea how it works. I mean, it's it's a little bit different, I would say, because they obviously built a mechanic to 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 do it. 
Yes. So they must have some <clears throat> some idea. Um, but uh, yeah, like, do you think it would be stronger than if part of the reason that they don't give it is that they say this won't work outside of an orbit? So not only is it a so basically you've got a. I guess that doesn't really strengthen because I was thinking if you did that, then you've got this element of Torres and the engineering crew being like, well, I mean, we don't know that. They could be lying to us. Is it really worth giving this up just because he says it's not going to work? At first he said he couldn't give it to us because it was against their prime directive, and now he's saying it's because it won't work outside orbit. Yeah, Who are we to believe that they're not just lying to us so we, we give up what we're looking for? Yeah. Um, Although, the if you want to, if you, this is one of these interesting canon arguments, right? Uh, I'm sure you remember this, but in Picard's first season, when the Borg have a, when they get on the Borg cube and they have a, Seven's like, this is how the uh, Borg queen was allowed to escape. If the cube came in danger, we have this technology to transport. It's this technology they're referencing, the Sicarian technology. They say they assimilated them. Is in the it Picard really? Season. Yeah. So oh, they, no the Borg managed to make it work, interestingly. So I don't know if that, <laughs> if That's that, true. If, yeah. if that fixes this or if it is some other thing. It's one of those arguments did. Did the mm. Picard show fix this or did it not pay attention? Close. I'm not going to say that they didn't pay attention, but I don't think it really matters, but I thought it was a nice connection between the two for whatever it was. But apparently these guys are all dead now because the board mm. came and took them. So that's what they got. Does that mean Does that mean that the planet that they transported to was the planet that Riker and, his, and Troy lived on <laughs> with their kid? <laughs> they had the orgasm uh, light breeze, which was nice, and that, that's probably a Riker, a yeah. Riker household favorite. <laughs> yeah, Riker showed up and he was like, honey, we're home, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, that final sequence was interesting because I do think one of the reasons that it works so well is because it's more than just the three of them yelling at a computer graphic. Yeah. Because there is. Something I found on the web. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Alexa, Alexa has activated. differing opinions about it. Yeah. Com- computer. Computer. Stop. Um, Anyway. It's more than them just yelling at a graphic because what they're doing starts to negatively affect the ship. And as I'm watching this, I'm going, oh, shit, there's a possibility that what they're doing makes the ship worse. Yeah. In which case, you know, now they're in the situation where it's going to take longer to get home because they jumped the gun. The The only thing about it that I didn't like <clears throat> was I thought the way that they got into that sequence was a little bit ham-fisted. Because I know the Bajoran girl is like excited and stuff, but she's like, we need to test this right now. We have to find out if it works. And I was like, you've got 75 years to test this. Just chill mm-hmm. out. Wait until you get the beer, the, the illegally purchased beer outside the store <laughs> before you open it is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, but, uh, but I understand they got to get it going so they can do this whole thing and blah, blah, blah. So. I, actually, I actually thought it worked for this reason. What I thought that they Mm -hmm. were doing in that whole sequence, well, first, before I get to that point, one of the things that I thought that additionally made that whole ending sequence where they're looking at the screen and saying like, oh, no, this isn't working, uh, actually work, is that underneath all of that, there is still the tension that they are not 
doing what the captain wants them to do. So there's still this problem of like, even if this doesn't resolve, what does that mean for these people, which we find out at the very end? And it gives you that decent, maybe perhaps a little bit unearned scene where Torres is like, no, I've learned my lesson in this. Like, Suska, you're not going to be able to do whatever the hell you want to do at this point. And I'm going to I'm going to take my stand. And she says, you've changed, Borana. Um, I don't know if that was great, but I did like that there was just a there was something riding underneath it. It wasn't just when that sequence ended, the whole, you know, the credits roll. And it's like next time on Voyager, there, there was a little bit of a story built mm-hmm. into the, the bottom of it. But what I liked about the that sequence of uh, let's hurry up and do this is that it felt to me what they were intentionally saying was that once the once they decide to break the big rule, which is the prime directive rule, and they start Tuvok starts going down and things happen, I was getting the sense that at that point all of the smaller rules started to get broken too. Because once people realize they can break the big rule, mm. you can start breaking all these smaller rules because we've already seen, we already have a prior example of like why you should break a rule. Why don't I do this then at this point? It's kind of like the um, like the broken windows theory of crime fighting. If you let a little thing happen, like everyone will just start committing crime basically. It's, it's that, except it's the crew realizing that um, it, was just, it was like a nice thematic way to show how their whole system breaks down the minute that they start giving in on themselves. Like their, their whole structure yeah. and military organization is built around following the rules, doing what the person ahead of you tells you to do and then doing it. And once they start falling away from that structure, the whole thing goes to shit. Smoke starts filling up the engine room, you know, Janeway's crying, crying down what's going on. So I thought it worked potentially early. I could see a defense mm. for it in that way. And that sort of strengthens Janeway's point of view, doesn't it? Because like, it does, that's kind yeah, of her, it helps her ethos is that she's doing this, she, she's acting the way she does because there needs to be structure. There needs to be this system that holds everybody together while they're going through this. It would be, it would be incredibly easy to throw everything out the window and become like Delta Quadrant space pirates right. just trying to get home. But, you know, what what is it? What is it worth then at that point if that's what you're doing? Yeah, and I think that that's the best. That's the best thing that we we've said in almost like every episode prior to this. This is the best distinction between the Maquis point of view and the Starfleet point of view that I think they've done so far. Mm. Is to that like the, you know, Tuvok is really the only one that crosses the picket line here and switches allegiances for a pretty interesting reason, in my opinion, but. It's mostly Maquis mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I guess the chief engineer, the engineer guy too, but it's mostly Maquis who are doing this. And it is, it is what you're saying. It's the once once this Federation Starfleet thing starts breaking down, there's not a lot to stop it at that point. Like once you start breaking these rules, we're just as you say, space pirates, and we're not going to get home if that's the way that it is. And I don't think I think to the episode's credit, they don't really hammer that home, but I think that's definitely part of what Janeway has to be considering here uh, as she makes her decision. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's see. Anything else about prime factors? Did you have any points? Did you have any, or not My, did you, a single point to make? <laughs> no, not a, not a salient point, but I, I just, uh, I really liked it when, they were trying to figure out, you know, it was just one of the things that I liked about this this species where they were like, well, they're not just going to give it to us, but what if we barter for it? What are they into? 
And they're like, oh, okay, they're into knowledge and pleasure and stuff. And then Janeway goes down and she's like, listen, we're prepared to offer you in return for this highly advanced technology that can get us 40,000 light years closer to home, the finest in Starfleet's most coveted secret OnlyFans passwords. And the guy's like, oh, <laughs> Ooh. tell me more. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Vince McMahon meme <laughs> where they just keep ramping it up. And yes. Like, oh! <laughs> I I think Jane Wayne made a mistake. Uh, after she should have she should have you know when she's eating with him she should have pushed aside the pecan pie leaned over provoking and said would you like to try some cherry pie? <laughs> he just goes I would like to try some cherry pie. I was hoping in that scene particularly my my girlfriend actually made the joke but I was thinking the same thing is where she's like it's called pecan pie I was hoping he would go you sure it's not pronounced pecan (laughs) we have this but we call it pecan pie on on my planet yeah (laughs) (laughs) people I think pecan or pecan pie exists more in television media and movies than it does in reality I don't like it seems like it's the popular pie of choice in movie stuff i i would disagree only because i pretty much every holiday that i go to there's a pecan pie Mm. so it it is it does exist it's a family favorite literally in 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 my world yeah Mm, i guess so yeah we we it's always apple apple over here and um chocolate yeah well my mother like my mother always makes enough food for 75 people so she makes Mm -hmm. like multiple pies and that's always one of them these guys will be stopping off that uh, the Sakarans will be beaming over <laughs> to find it. So I thought that the last, the last thing, well, this, we might go long on this episode, but we'll, we'll speed through these last couple of things. Again, another episode that is just um, really increasing my man crush on Tuvok here. We've talked about it a little bit. I think mm-hmm. I think Tuvok is terrific. I think he's a great character. Maybe not a great character. He's a great understanding of what the Vulcans should be, in my opinion. Like he is a he's a, a voice of reason that acts in a certain way. He's sort of justifiable in what he does. And I think that his performance is dead on. And I thought that this was a really good example. I I thought Janeway had the best counter argument to the Vulcan's logic argument that I've seen in Star Trek so far, which is that logic can be used to justify anything, which is true. That's that is true. That's mm-hmm. that's like the the downside of it. She has some line about logic can justify everything, and that's all. That's its greatest weakness. Where I was like, wow, what a that's a cold ass thing to say to a volcanist standing right there. Yeah, um, but it's greatest, it's a good. I think it was. She point. says it's it's its greatest strength, but also its greatest weakness. its greatest weakness. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and I think that I thought that Tuvok's like his rationale and logic makes sense here. I think that he's right in what he tried to do. It didn't feel weird that he was the one that made this decision. It feels like he's the right character to it. And um, tying into that, I just, I I really like this um, relationship that he and Janeway have. It's a, it's the counselor role, but it feels closer than Picard and Troy ever did, really. It's like, it's, she says, oh, you're totally. supposed to be my, you're yeah. supposed to be my counselor. You're supposed to be the one that I can depend on. And I thought Mulgrew was fantastic here. This was the episode that most made her a distinct captain to me because I thought it embraced mm. her femininity in some ways. I thought that 
I can't see mm-hmm. Picard get or Cisco or Kirk getting this kind of like emotional near tears experience from this, from what has happened to them. And it's not, it's not a weakness of Janeway as a character or anything, but it, it felt the most like it's a, it took her in a direction that's very distinct from the males captains of this, where they've always been shown as like to be this like above it all, like kind of like, you know, they, t- they look at Tuvok and be like, well, I'm extremely disappointed in you, Mr. Tuvok. And I, I hope that we can be friends in the mm-hmm. future. There wasn't, but there's not this, really personal sense of betrayal that I thought Mulgrew did a really good job of doing. And I, I think works for Janeway as a captain, like where she's set up is like, we're really fucked out mm-hmm. here. Like I need you guys to work with me and not do this because this is going to be awful. And I thought, I thought she was great in it. Yeah, I, I did too. And I mean, I think it, I don't think I totally appreciated that they had such a long relationship because it, it sounds like they have been friends for a long time. Served together and for a long time, too. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think that that <clears throat> plays a big role into how effective that scene is as well because, you know, she is a captain who is in a very unique situation and l- really doesn't have anyone she can lean on other than him. So if if he's the one who is also going behind her back then she, at that point she is absolutely alone, yep. which is, you know, for that kind of a position, terrifying and scary. So having that scene where the, where she lays it out as to how damaging this has been is, was really effective. Yeah. He's, um, he's really the only high end senior officer who's on her side as a Starfleet person. Most of the other ones are Maquis or non-affiliated mm. like Tom Paris. It's really like, it's like Kim Ensign Kim is the only other you know, one. Ooh, Ensign Kim. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it also, I think they also do a great job of illustrating that without drawing too much attention to it. Cause it's not like, the whole ship is constantly on the brink of mutiny, but like that scene at the end really kind of goes to, to illustrate that everybody else is just kind of there and she, and they can really go in a different direction. Anytime it's up to her to keep this shit together. Like it's, it's all, all on her back in a way that it's, it's never really been in these other shows. Like you've, I never got the feeling that this is how the crew, reacted to on the uh, TNG enterprise or even deep space nine or TOS it's, it's really the um, whether or not it is warranted. She is taking a hundred percent of the responsibility of getting everybody home safely on her own, on herself, on her own back. Yep. And I think that could be perceived as a bit of a character flaw, which is interesting because maybe she doesn't have to do that, but right now she is. And so that's why something like this is so devastating. Yeah. I, I think what, I think what a good thing about it is that like the captains usually make these kinds of decisions where the, like the captain is the ultimate decider where they have to put everything on their back and the, the buck stops with them and stuff. But I think that the, the setup of Voyager has stakes that go beyond sort of like the episode by episode, like, well, if I don't do this, this treaty won't be signed and these people are going to genocide each other and that'll be the end of it. It's more of a, it's a sense of 
if I make the wrong decision, a bunch of people aren't going to be able to get home to see their families and stuff. Like there's a really, there's a really like mm. personal, like heaviness to the things that she has to decide to do in a way that the other series are a little bit more intellectual maybe because the, the, the you know, the ship stops off and meets this planet and then it's like, well, I couldn't solve the problem and it goes off and it does something else. But Janeway, and I know this is going to be a problem with Voyager, but Janeway's bad decisions are going to add time onto getting home. You know, like by the end of this journey, there should mm-hmm. be a scoreboard where a better captain would have gotten us home quicker in some ways. You know, not that she's a bad captain, but like there is mm-hmm. a kind of tally keeping well, that's going on. I I do think that there is something to be said, though, to the fact that you can watch this show and actively debate with yourself whether or not she is making the right decision yeah. because she doesn't they don't have to write her to to be making the right decision all the time they don't even have to write her to acknowledge the fact that she's making the wrong decision you know but i think that's part of what's so fascinating about this setup is there is so much so many different directions you can go in as far as what she's going to do with the things she's going to hang on to what rules she's going to break if she's going to break them and whether or not she makes the right decisions when it when it it, it comes down to it yeah yeah and it's perhaps maybe a little bit frustrating knowing that the series will um, sort of give up on this a little bit. Like it becomes much more of like an episodic type mm. story. But it's it comes back to my thing yeah, about if I could hard. remake a Voyager show or remake a Star Trek show, Voyager would be it. Because I thought that I saw the seeds of you can do long serialized stuff here where like characters take Janeway's decision and run with it in different directions. You know, like it's this kind of a decision that either re-inspires the Maquis to do something or, you know, it has Mm -hmm. a lasting impact on Tuvok and stuff like that. Um, And I think that that's, that would have been a neat way to go. You know what's interesting about this one? This is one, this is an episode that if you were to translate it into modern Star Trek, Torres would be the Michael Burnham character who goes behind the captain's back, mm. gets the thing, and it works. Right. <laughs> you know? Like that's yeah. that's how they that's how they play this stuff now. Yeah. And it's it's not really interesting that way. Um I mean sometimes it can be, but I mean if can that's be. if that's all you're doing, no, definitely not. Well, yeah, I mean the modern track shows don't really It's it's a, I think I I think it comes back to a generational thing. It's like <clears throat> or maybe not generational as much in the early shows as like the setup of the series, but the modern shows are based around the idea that the individual knows best, right? So like Burnham's decision is the right thing to do mm-hmm. because she's making a decision for herself. Where the older shows have a yeah. little bit if it, if it's not just like a military like structural thing, it's this idea of like there are kind of structures for a reason in a society like these things have been built up mm-hmm. because they tend to keep society running and stuff like that. And so breaking it has to be either extremely well justified or it has to have a consequence that comes from breaking it. The modern shows are a little bit more of like a, a modern perspective of like the way that we were kind of raised in that early. It's like a, a lot of parents are like, well, just do what you want. Kind of like there's there was that that parenting thing where it's just like just let them do what they want they'll figure it out and they'll do the right thing because they want to do it, 
Um, right, right. And, and I think I see that in the difference. It's the same there. way. It's the same way people train some dogs. It's like, yeah, just put them, yeah. just bring them to the dog park. They'll figure it out. Let's bark yeah. at each other for a while, and then they'll just sniff at each other and walk away. People used to, like, you know, when Romney put the dog in the roof of his car in the cage and drove 500 miles or whatever, it's like, that's how people used to treat dogs. <laughs> and now it's like, you know, you, you got to dress them up. They eat human food. They go to the human doctor because the veterinarian can't possibly cure their cancer or whatever it is. But, like, I think that's basically what plays into the difference here. And I don't know if the older generation really was thinking about that as that much as that. I think that the older shows really did recognize Starfleet as like a an organization. Like there were rules to to the stuff that they had to do. Yeah. You know, you know what's fascinating about that is because I was just thinking about it as you were talking about it. Modern Star Trek very much seems like it's positioning its characters in a way that they are constantly bucking the system. Like, they are constantly going against the wishes of Starfleet. They're constantly going against um, any sort of uh, governing body or anything like that. It's very rebellious. And the thing that I find fascinating about that is that I understand that point of view and that th- how tempting that is to do that. But the thing is that Starfleet in traditional Star Trek is in and of itself, the rebellious thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the like revolution. They, they are the know? contrary opinion. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Especially when you put it in the context of the time when it was created. It is very much like Star Trek as it existed in the 60s is very much a counterculture kind of idea as far as um, representation and getting along, uh, the kinds yeah, of working with all different kinds of people. Getting, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I find it interesting that it has turned into this thing where Starfleet is almost exclusively seen as kind of bad. Or just incompetent. Um, they're, they're not capable, really. Yeah. It, 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 takes, it takes an individual to yeah. break through an institution. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting shift from the revolutionary rebellious idea of maybe we can do this if we all work together to the only person who knows how to do this is me, the individual. Trump. It's the Trump effect right there. Trump said that, right? The only person who can do yeah. this is me. Yeah, it, it is that. I I mean, because I, I see it most like, uh, it's obviously, as I always say when I bring this up, it's obviously a better show, but The Wire does the same thing, right? Which A lot of Wire plots are about how powerful institutions are and how they can kind of cause all these problems and the people who try to buck against them. But The Wire was way more realistic about if you kick back against your superiors, they have the ability to ruin you at the same time. Like there's a, there's a trade-off in what you're choosing mm-hmm. to do. You can either work with it or you can try to buck it. But if you buck it, they're going to fire you or punish you for what you've done. Um, Star Trek is like more extreme than that. It tries to have more of a like a one way or the other point of view about it. It's not really there for the nuance of bureaucracy and star and Starfleet and stuff like that. But yeah, I just, I, I think that the, the problem with the modern perspective on it is just that 
beyond the the thing that like Burnham's points are never really all that well considered to the point where you understand what's going on in in her decision making to do these mm-hmm. things, it doesn't have any kind of. I don't know. You just you you have to you have to be you have to have a little bit of sense about what you're pushing back against. I think for it to make any kind of sense, it can't be yeah. this like really well, limp dick that, Starfleet thing that the modern shark shows tend to do. Well, that's the thing, because like, kind of what sort of similar to what I was saying. Like, traditionally, Starfleet is the ideal, right? The Federation is the I should say the Federation more than Starfleet, sure. But is that is the ideal, and that is the unified future where um, everybody works together for for the the benefit of not just mankind but everybody, and the Starfleet. The Starfleet characters who are always the villains are the ones who are in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. The admirals who are doing something for themselves. The ones who are stealing ships and going out and doing things for themselves. And now that's kind of flipped where the heroes are now the ones who are bucking the Starfleet and Federation trends. And you're, they position the Federation and Starfleet as kind of like the the big boss man. Yeah, And it feels like a kind of... I don't know which one is the naive reading, I guess. I don't know if it's naive to to read into old Star Trek and that ethos as as a positive or if it's naive to read into the way they're doing things now as 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 a positive. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, Cuz I and I think that the older Trek shows do both. I th- I think you can push against like TOS always pushed against both sides. That's what kind of makes it interesting as a series is that it was like pro Vietnam, anti Vietnam in the same show. Like different writers would have different opinions about what the the war was mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Sure, and, and they could sure. still do it because, like, that reflects reality. There are different opinions about these things that can be, you can have different perspectives on it. Mm-hmm. You might get a little, you might walk into some kind of like canon continuity thing where it's like, well, Kirk acted like this in this episode. So why does he act like that? But that's not really the point. You're because you're talking about like single episode stuff right there. Um, I don't know. I don't know which one's more. I, I think track more modern track is a little bit more naive just in that it, it, if 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 modern Trek had stuff that pushed back against Burnham somewhat more effectively, I would say it's not naive. It's more of like a like hero's journey type thing. But she's she's just right, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Prime factors. We're done with this one. I think. Hopefully, it was more pleasurable for our listeners than it was for me. That's how you bring it back to where we all started. <laughs> so, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the show today. <laughs> This was Prime Factors. If you want to support the show and you enjoyed it, you can go to patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. It's the best way to support the show. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. Patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. And as always, our captain tier supporters get to thank you. Special thanks to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Sherlock, Joint Mango, Christian Pouch, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergi, Brandon Howes, Grim Santo, Sean, Bradley Killens, Vault 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Darth Mosk, Russell Elwich, Stephen Minton, HH28, Derek Zajak, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Point Extra G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazen, Eric Avia, Avila, Jake Keeves Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Nick the Rat, William Scheisler, Rahan Jaffer, Grappa John Zorn, Zane Majors, Olivier Pardieu, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, ZWNF Remixes, Captain Glenchaz, and James McLean, and Jonas, Tommy Tango, Disbrod, Two Fix Must Die, Admiral Nakamura, Edmark Starr, <sighs> Chris McLaughlin, Royo, J-Man, The Undiscovered Mugato, Robbie Duffield, Will Clay, Atanga Udom, Artorias, and 
Jeremy Bujohanha, I think is how you pronounce it. He's our latest patron. <laughs> Extremely spicy. You got to start. You got to start watching old episodes of the X Men cartoon so you can get that gambit, that nice gambit Cajun draw. <laughs> well, Jeremy's name is almost there. It's Remy LeBeau, right? Is Gambit's name? His name is Jeremy. Yeah, Remy LeBeau. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Le, 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 Le. <laughs> The way you speak French is just kind of mumble. What is, what is his actual? It's Jeremy. What? What's his Boudreaux. name? Uh, interesting, because I remember. I don't. I never knew. If this was a mistake, a printing mistake, or if this was actually his original name. But I remember on the, I want to say series two of the Marvel, possibly series three of the Marvel Comics trading cards, Mm -hmm. Gambit's real name was listed as Remy Boudreaux. Yeah, I can see it. So what I'm saying is... (laughs) Ask Jeremy how he is with a deck of cards. <laughs> How's your kinetic energy? The the biggest thing I learned in science from X Men was uh, kine- the discovery of kinetic energy. Yes. I suppose <laughs> a lot not quite as cool when we actually got to it in physics class. No. though. why is Gambit so beloved as a character? <clears throat> what is it about Great Gambit? Question. I, I, um, I actually don't really know what it is, but everyone <clears throat> loves Gambit, and yeah. I'm not sure. His power is okay, really. You know, it's like it's yeah. not it's not super interesting. It's it's neat, but it's like whatever. His accent's a little silly. He doesn't I have think, a great costume. He's just a dude in a trench coat with a stick. But he's got that sweet head hair. sock yeah. thing <laughs> that everybody had in the nineties <laughs> where it was like a like a, a hood but with no top. Yes. And that to hug your face hair very tightly. Just- Shoot at the top. Yep. Everyone loves Gambit. I, honestly, I, and I, I like think, him too, but I don't know. I think he is the closest analog to like Wolverine. Like he has the same kind of he had the same kind of like mystery and coolness that early Wolverine had. Um and so I think it I think he just worked in that standpoint where he was like kind of a villain, at least when he started kind of a villain, kind of a good guy, had a shady past, was kind of a, you know, sexy guy. Yeah. Goodness. Head sock. A little. I, yeah. I don't know how he was early. I, I always, I, I can agree with that. He seems, um, he's like the bad boy that, you know, is always going to do the right thing. Sort of in a way the Wolverine is a little bit more of an antihero. Right, like he can right. do the, the wrong thing sometimes or whatever. But, uh, yeah. Gambit's got the, the charm. I thought, I, I always thought, I always thought pairing him was with Rogue was such a brilliant idea mm-hmm. because it's such like a, a Pepe Le Pew kind of situation <laughs> yeah. where you take like the horniest X Men and pair him with the the one can't be touched who can never have sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of yeah. He's um, it, I even think th- like we're I don't know thematically, but their powers work together too. Like her draining his power is a good power for her to have as Rogue. You know, it's it's like a good power to mm. take from him in, in a weird way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Gambit, we'll see. I'm sure a Gambit movie is coming at some point, so we'll we'll see how that works out. But uh, what's his name? Uh, Magic Mike Channing Tatum was trying for a long time to do a Gambit movie, but it never got off the ground. Really? For better or worse? Yeah. Just like a disconnected. Yeah, because he's never been in any of the movies, right? Even as like a like a character in the background right. that's throwing cards or anything. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, Gambit. Gambit. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was in. Um, he was in that awful first Wolverine movie they made, uh, Wolverine Origins. Is he in that bar scene for where like Wolverine's like in the bar? Five for- seconds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He goes. He goes down to get information from somebody, and there's like a, a two minute fight scene with Gambit. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's it's not it's not great. <laughs> that was a terrible movie. All right. Well, anyway, real bad. Real bad. <laughs> Thanks everybody for supporting the show, even if you only speak French. Let's go to our patron comments here. We. Oui. <laughs> is the Royal Vu. There's 22 of them, maybe a little bit less. So we'll try to get through this quick because we are Ooh, running wow. right here, Clay. All right. Norman Buckle says, Prime Factor. So while already brought up in time and again, I'd call this the first truly good Prime Directive episode as it's a wonderful scenario where the aliens have the uh, one have one that keeps Voyager from getting home. Irony. But even better is what's happening between the members of the ship and the Maquis and the non-Maquis as they conspire to make a deal in spite of Janeway's orders, and that includes Tuvok. Joe Carey is also handled so much better as a character as well as further developing what we know of Seska at this point. Five pleasure works out of, lit- of literature out of five. Joe Carey is the Chief O'Brien character, I'm assuming. The other engineer guy. Ah. James McLennan says, it's fun to see the Prime Directive thrown in Starfleet's face for once, but the standout in this episode is Tuvok participating in the mutiny. Of course, there are no repercussions because it's Forager, but it was bold to even be attempted. Four out of five. Concito says... I would have so much... I would have so much respect for the show if she was like, Torres, we're not going to be home for 75 years. I'm still throwing you in the brig. And then for the rest of the show... <laughs> Torres is just in the brig and yes. you check in with her occasionally, but she's just in the brig. She's like Wilson from Home Improvement or something. It's just on the other side of the fence. Just like, hey, yes. I'm, I'm here. Yes. Cancito says, it's a shame that the aliens look so cheap, as in TNG season one cheap, but I think this episode is one of the better Prime Directive episodes in the franchise. Captains like Janeway and Picard may think Prime Directive issues are clear cut, but episodes like this show that the crew are not always operating at that rarefied level. Tuvok's actions are a nice bit of needs of the many thinking that I appreciated, and I love his final scene with Janeway. Three out of five. Latte Librarian says, great exploration of ethics in Starfleet. Tuvok's choice was a surprise, but it makes sense and it was in character. Four stories out of five. Matt Ross says, a weird Lothario woos Janeway and the crew while Ensign Kim still attracts a woman despite wearing Picard's vacation shirt. The story felt like several pieces of other <laughs> Trek episodes, but the meat of crew desperation to get home, discussion of the prime directive of the Federation and of the aliens was well shown, as was the questioning of the applicability if the Alpha Quadrant of the Alpha Quadrant rules. The discussion between Seska and Torres being the strongest realization of self-interest versus self-responsibility. Tuvok's betrayal and Janeway's expression toward that betrayal, I felt, conveyed Janeway's loneliness in command and possible questioning her earlier actions. Flying away maybe a little wiser seems the best ending. Three out of five. Rayo says this might be spicy, but what I think this is, uh, but I think this is, but this is what I think Star Trek Insurrection should have been about: the Star Trek crew turning against one another over a moral dilemma involving a technological trade. Mm. In my opinion, this is the first truly great episode of Voyager, one that averts tech- typical cliche. As for once, the aliens being nice and offering gifts isn't a trap, and a technological trade offer is actually interesting because the demands are harmless. It's also deeply impressive just how good the acting is for a season one episode. All the characters, apart from Kim, are firing on all cylinders. The genesis for the mutiny is also well established, and the upright and logical Vulcan officer, uh, security officer would go along with the trade also makes complete sense. Unlike The Last Jedi, Prime Factors understands that ignoring the feelings of the crew and leaving them without hope can have deep consequences. 4.5 characters wearing halos out of five. 
Jonas says, a pretty good episode so far as human drama is concerned. The final scene featuring some excellent acting by Kate Muldrew, not quite at the level of Stuart, but within sight. Incidentally, we've seen this sort of hedonistic society before in TNG, in the planet on which Wes, uh, oh, I thought he was talking about, but in which Wesley gets in trouble for throwing a football on a couple of plants, on which half-naked teenagers and adults jog in circles and copulate. I was indeed surprised that Tuvok made the choice he did, but also satisfied with his explanation at the end. How many of these episodes will there be when everyone ha- but us thinks there's a chance the crew can get home? Anyway, not bad. 3.75 out of 5. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, I love Janeway, but she gets pretty judgy here with some first, with some of the first reasonable people they've met in the quadrant. Saying their hospitality was just to gratify themselves sounds like an immaturity of someone newly discovering that the universe isn't all about what she wants. Later seasons, Janeway would be happy to find any planet to let them visit without trying to kill them. But four out of five for interesting ideas. This is interesting. Did you, did you think Janeway was being immature? Was she just lashing out or was she onto something? Did the script make a mis- mistake? Um, I don't think this, the script necessarily made a mistake, but I don't think that that means what he said isn't true. Because, um, I th- yeah, I think she could easily have that reaction. Uh, I think she's right is the thing. Like, she, she yeah. called them correctly. Um, and the guy basically admits that that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he does. He, it, they do. They do stage it fairly well without explicitly doing this. Staging it like a like a a college guy who's just looking to hook up. Yes, and then afterwards he's like, "Yeah, no, I'll, yeah, I'll call you." Yeah, you know, they don't they don't go full full bore with it, but it has that energy to it. It's done a little bit more subtly, so I think it's. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, but also at the same time, like clearly that that society is not that's like it's not just like a society of douchebags right it's just him real because like there's yeah. those other people who are willing to give <laughs> them the technology yeah so it's yeah so I, I don't think necessarily calling him on that is being uh uh indecent or um not respecting somebody else's culture i think it's just one guy being a tick <laughs> Yeah, and I think that I, like, even again, it's I think it's the mark of a good script is that Janeway's reaction of being frustrated there, even if she is lashing out because of immaturity, I think it's a deserved reaction, really. It's like, fuck you, buddy. Like, give me this sure. goddamn technology at this point. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do anything with it. Like, I need to get home, and you're just, you're not going to. We gave you so many Kindle books. And you can't even give us the most advanced transporting technology humanity's ever seen. Uh, Tuvok's just holding the little Kindle. Is like, is this all the stories that we have? How many stories can there be <laughs> in the universe? There's only seven, right? There's seven types of stories. Oh, it's just geez, repeat like, over and over again. Yeah, I mean, like at least 2,800 maybe, 25, <laughs> 29. <laughs> in the modern remake, I'll have them hold up. Uh, you and Sean's Red Hood book and be like, this is all these people are going to need. That's the, the plug. <laughs> 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 and they give them the technology. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, Point Extra G says, time factors. How unbendable uh, no, should it's, it's Yeah. <laughs> she's got, she's like, you know, we have a database on our ship that has 700 million stories from all over different cultures and galaxies. But you know what? I brought you the only one you're going to need. <laughs> a little movie called Under the Tuscan Sun. 
<laughs> hands over her, bo- her box set of oranges, the new black. She's like, you can skip after the season three. Really. I'm not in that one. No, it would be the wire. She would be like, I've got, here we go. Here's the box set of the wire for you. <laughs> that's, that's the modern Star Trek right there. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Point extra G mm-hmm. says, how unbendable should the Federation's principles be? This episode takes the harsh, the rules of the rules stance, and it's interesting to contrast that to other Trek episodes like In the Pale Moonlight. Tuvok, Torres, and Carrie and Seska don't look all that wrong in comparison. I really like how Tuvok used cold Vulcan logic to rationalize his actions. I like seeing Vulcans used like that. That could Ben says. I think what's tough about that, what's tough about that comment, though, is I don't really think this is those two things are, are equal. Because I think there's a difference between the rules are the rules and the rules are all we have. And this yep. is this is an instance of the rules being all they have, which is why she clings to them so heavily. Whereas something like Pale Moonlight, the rules are the rules becomes a lot less um What's about the personal uh, cost uh, sympathetic. Of, of breaking that? Like, is, it's the right. cost to Cisco as opposed to, because as I think Royo said, there's really not much of a downside to the trade in this episode besides it's just a rule thing that they don't right. want to break, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, that kid Ben says, Gath is the, I forgot that's his name. I think his name is Gath. Gath is the perfect example of a self-proclaimed nice guy. Tuvok earned a lot of points from me. Two dumb wire crowns out of five. Cal Barrett says, if Clay was aboard Voyager, he would have impressed the Sicarians with his Jamaica story and got the technology immediately. A story where, under the, happy, the, story. <laughs> under the happy surface, there are still crew <laughs> tensions and differences of opinion. It's fantastic to see. The show can do it. I really love the drama that builds over most of the episodes, so it's disappointing when it stumbles at the end with a debate around morality being scuppered by technobabble and the conflict having no resolution because success or failure of the plan hinges on anti-neutrinos instead of drama. If Harry had played his cards right, he could have gotten laid and then reported his findings to Janeway, that plonker. And speaking of Janeway, Kate Mulgrew must have taken too many acting pills because she overplays everything in this episode for, oh, hey, it's Megan's dad for Mad Men out of five. I can I support half of Kyle's comments. Yeah, half of the comments yeah. is good. The other half. <laughs> yeah, I can support the Jamaica story being the only story worth hearing if, if sending. They should, the next time they send one of those Voyager things out where they inscribe things on the golden Black. album that plays for 100 years, yep. it's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> with a little a little uh, restaurant plastic container of tartar sauce just plonked right down next to it. Yes. Just uh, just so people understand the context. Yeah. I wish I knew what episode you first talked about that so I could reference it. If this was a well-run podcast, I would have notes about all the references because you know those podcasts that drive me nuts? I, I mean, doesn't Kyle... Kyle, would Kyle doesn't know that. That's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> those podcasts that have like 500 sure episodes. he's got a binder and, somewhere. And the hosts are like, this is episode 131 where we brought up that. I'm like, who the fuck? How, how do you know that? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Espinoza mm-hmm. says, five pecan or pecan pies out of five. Wow, more tension and drama packed in a single episode than anything Discovery's done. Love Tuvok in this one and its reasoning for his actions. Lots of new takes on what could have been an Alien of the Week episode. Aaron Million says, strong episode showing the desperation the crew is feeling to find a shortcut home. I thought Janeway let Tor- Torres and Tuvok off lightly given their disobedience. However, one has to remember that she can't send the two to the brig until they get to a star base. Three Ensign Kim stories out of five. Patrick Seba says, a crew finally torn, a shawl freshly shorn, hedonists with tall shitty hats. Tuvok stole a dud. Janeway's out for blood. Guess Harry must make do 
with porn. <laughs> I fucked that up at the end. I apologize. For first date LSD trips out of five. Are we are we ever going to meet the Delaney sisters? Are they like the chef on Enterprise? Do we never get are. to meet them until the last episode? Yeah. When it turns out that they're actually just uh, a couple Troy of sixes. And <laughs> Crusher in a hologram. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. What, would you. Um, that was an interesting scene. I liked that scene, I think. The one where uh, Torres is asking Kim, like, how far he got with the Delaney sisters or whatever. Um, kind of childish. I don't know. Maybe we'll have more to talk about that. If we're running long, we can wait for it. There'll probably be more scenes like it. <laughs> Undiscovered Mugato says, finally a planet of nice people who don't secretly want to harvest your brain. In another flipperoo where our Voyager crew are the antagonists, other than everyone in the future being a little too into fabric when visiting alien worlds. I can't fault this one. Everyone's actions make sense. It tied into larger goals and presented a great dilemma. Janeway was on point when she tore everyone a new one, especially logic itself. Four horny meteorologists out of five. Changeling says, not a bad app, not a great app, just kind of meh. I like to think that the guy that show that traded the extremely valuable technology for our entire comprehensive literature shows it to the government, and then the government t- sees the title taken by the T-Rex, <coughs> or insert your preferred erotica here, and promptly executes him. <laughs> Two man-bund men touching my face out of five. It does have um, the energy of like in college when somebody shows up and they just, they got a burned CD of like, aqua teen hunger force yep. from their brother yep. or something and it's like oh shit <laughs> they oh, love shit stories. i can't believe oh my god he got the whole first three seasons on one cd <laughs> if, if um if someone ever said like do i have your permission to tell that story to other people that i know i would be deeply suspicious harry kim seems very honored to have that done to him but i'd be like what? what what's so weird about that story that you're gonna make fun of me when you tell it to other people <laughs> Picard's flute yes. says, based on their headwear, it seems everyone on the planet got into an unfortunate slinky accident. It was okay, I guess. But boy, that suave mm-hmm. main alien guy sure seemed upset when Janeway refused to get into the hot tub with him. Nick the Rat says, I love Trek when it's just the crew talking around a water cooler. It's good to know that Harry can last at least 15 minutes before getting all wet. Also, really bad wardrobe is something I miss. Old Trek always had horrible costumes most of the time. I give the opening to this episode a four out of five. Two more. Christian Pouch says, wow, just destroying the Bechdel test right out of the gate, followed up by the opening hook equivalent of lukewarm water. Thankfully, once you get by the rapey Russian engineer from Hunt from Red October, the dilemma faced by the crew is pretty interesting. How do you react when somebody else's prime directive, somebody else prime directives you? My favorite part is Tuvok in the ending conversation with Janeway, a superb performance from both. Worst part of the episode, Harry, you nerd, take five minutes and boner in the orgasm wind before running off to tell the captain. <laughs> it's true. Harry Kim was extremely dedicated to the crew there to be like, no, I, I have to go. I have to go home. Where you know, where I don't know if it was if it was just Harry or if it was just everything about this episode, like in the, the was regarding the planet and stuff. But this this had up until the like the ethical stuff kicked in, this had a real lower decks vibe to me. Yeah. Like I, I feel like Harry would be easily replaced with Boimler and that planet is is ripe for uh lower decks, I think. Yeah. It's um it's a super TNG feeling world where it's like I think that Voyager yeah. does more with it, but it just like 
I, I was just reading Pillar was aware that one of his, he thought the failing, he generally liked the episode, but he thought that the failing was that they were too close to what he called like Roddenberry hedonism, which is just like people just having a good time yes. just because they're having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was saying that the focus in the, when they were writing the script was to really focus on them as a group of people who were so determined to have pleasure that they're kind of antagonistic because of it. Like they're, they're, their drive to be mm. pleasured yeah. is what causes other people problems. Um, that is that is one of the funny things about original Star Trek is that while it is it does have this, um, as I was saying, sort of like counterculture element of being representing a future. That is very much not like the the conservative fut- the conservative present of like the sixties and stuff. Uh, it also is has a lot of like um, of the era conservatism conservatism of it, where it's like they also hate hippies. Yeah, hate not. So working. it's like everybody works together, but then they go to a planet where like nobody has jobs and they just lounge <laughs> around all day, and they're like, "This is the worst thing that could possibly happen." Yeah. No, that's that's it is. That's what I like about TOS. It had uh, it had different viewpoints within itself, including hating the hippies. <laughs> Although I do, everyone hate, rags on that episode. I think that song is a real earworm of a song. That it doesn't even make any goddamn sense. With the man tells another man, get out of my way. <laughs> it's it's incredibly sixties, but super satisfying. Brandon Howell says, final comment. What sets which sets up uh, Prime Factor sets up that Harry Kim, like Jordy before him. This is still recording. I just smashed the keyboard, right? Yeah, it's still recording. Uh, Prime Factor sets up that Harry Kim, like Geordie before him, had no luck with women. Voyager gets invited to Planet Hedonism, where they're shown a device that could theoretically take decades off their journey home. Gath is almost rapey towards Janeway. I enjoyed the Maquis and Tuvok interaction. Plot spoiled by Janeway emoting too much. Three databases of Federation literature out of five. Thanks, everybody. A lot of comments about prime factors, and I would say the average was a fairly high mm-hmm. average there. A couple people with twos, no ones, but a lot of fours and a couple of fives. So thank you for leaving your comments on patreon.com slash And now we give our thoughts about it. I'll go first, Clay, because people know what I'm going to give. Mm. And I think your rating might be mm. a little bit more of a, a edge of your seat decision. I, I think this conversation has further convinced me it's a five. I was unsure, and I was wondering. I was like, is this a five? This episode is better than anything Enterprise did. Uh, this episode is yeah. extremely well-constructed as a script, I think, like kind of startlingly. It, it's so well-constructed that its boring central concept in some ways is still interesting. Like, it, it, I don't know. There's, there's a kind of like mm-hmm. dullness to it, but it's well thought out. Well considered. I think it well plays up the maquis and division in the crew that I think the show should be focusing on at this point. I think it does it extremely well. I think that Tuvok and Janeway's relationship is great. I think that Tuvok getting chewed out. I think that Tuvok, all that he decides to do is fantastic. I think that the alien race is really interesting and their hedonistic as antagonist type thing is kind of a fascinating uh, little subplot. The technology to get home is great. The idea of being sacrificed to not make home, the crushing disappointment when it doesn't work out. Neelix is in it for about three seconds, which is all fantastic. Um, I don't know. Outside of a lack of doctor, I think this is the best Voyager we've seen so Mm -hmm. far um, in a pretty solid season to this point. This is my favorite episode of the season. Five. 
Yeah, I would say um, five, yeah. I would say my first response is, once again, I'm really glad that we watched Enterprise before we watched this <laughs> because... I don't know. Maybe by the end, of, maybe by the end of this, it would have worn me down. But this, these episodes, these first ten episodes of Voyager have been so much more interesting to me than pretty much everything in Enterprise. It's shocking to me. Yeah, frankly, because they're not really reinventing the wheel or anything. They're just solid stories, um, and it they just works. And I would say. I I do I agree. I think that this is probably this is probably the best one we've seen so far. To, to hedge with you, something I, stopping me. This is a week mm. five to me. I will say that this is a week five. This is not, I'm not yeah. going to say this is like a top ten or top twenty or anything like that. But I I think by the time that I was would be done with the franchise, I would look back and say, oh, that was a great Voyager episode. And so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna spike yeah. it out for that. I think. And I liked Eye of the Needle, but I thought Eye of the Needle was in some ways more predictable than this. Like, that was a nice, solid little Mm -hmm. Star Trek episode that I don't think had too much to say about things. But this is a little bit different. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with a four. Sure. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but I feel like there's something missing from it to really push it over the edge for me. Because... I feel like all of the things at stake and the conflict and the dilemma and the ethical problems and stuff is all really great and all really interesting. But there's some, I think there's just something that is, I think there's, I don't know if it's immediacy or maybe it's, maybe it's because everything is so kind of separated throughout the, the, the episode. There's not a lot of, all these balls are in the air at the same time. You don't know which one's going to drop first kind of mm. thing. So, yeah, I, I can't I can't really put my finger on what is missing for me from this one, but I think it's there's there's room there for improvement, so I'm going to go with a four. I'm going to go, well, let's, let's meet in the middle. I'll say it's a high four. Sounds good. That's it. A good episode, though, of a pretty decent season, quite frankly. Um, surprisingly... Uh, enjoyable yeah. in my opinion um yeah the show yeah. definitely has places to improve um and maybe there will be down the line i'll regret the five but i i pretty much enjoyed that like i uh i was i i felt different watching this one i was like this is kind of a interesting little episode this is there's something going on with this one um which we don't feel too often since we're watching two star treks a week at this point and we're also again Maybe at a time when I'm not watching Picard, <laughs> I'll look back on this and go like, what the hell was I talking about there? It might just be a law of averages thing, but yeah, it's uh, decent. Anyway, patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you guys enjoyed the show and you want to support us and you want access to our season two coverage of Picard, which is probably wrapping up around now. It's hard to predict. I think we're close to the end. If we are at the end, we're watching Strange New Worlds now. So thanks everybody for supporting us and listening to those shows on Patreon. Hopefully you're enjoying Strange New Worlds and Picard pulled up from that uh, the direction it was going and it managed to skid into some kind of a landing. Uh, that's it. Yes. Four for Clay, five for me. Clay, do you have anything you want to say other than that? 
Uh, yeah, I've actually got a new book out, a new comic book called Poser. It's a collection of a book that I did a couple of years ago. Graphic novel, the entire story is collected in one easily purchasable and easily readable package. You can find that at comic book stores or through the publisher, A Wave Blue World. It's the same publisher that did Bloody Hell, which is also available. And uh, keep checking out Ron Hart Picture Show and Badass and following us as we go through the second string of Stephen King on our Patreon, our Ron Hart Picture Show Patreon. Tons of stuff on patreon.com slash the Penske Bell. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for leaving your comments, everybody. Let us know what you thought on the YouTube video about this one. And we're going to be back with the next episode, which is, I believe, here I go, State of Flux. State of Flux. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you later.